This is Fullness of Life, discussing topics important to your life of faith and ways to grow in a life of grace. Join us each month as we inspire listeners to a deeper relationship with the Lord to live His fullness of life. Now, here's your host, Letty Medina. Hi, this is Letty Medina with 88.5 FM WSFI Catholic Radio and my monthly show, Fullness of Life. And this month, I have decided to create a show without a guest to interview. This is my first time doing this, so bear with me. I have been doing this radio show for a little over two years now, and it has been a wonderful experience. Uh, But this month, I, I figured I wanted to talk about Mother Mary, especially in the month of December. She is so highly honored with December 8th being the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, and then December 12th being the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. My background, uh, my father was born and raised in Mexico until he was a young man and he uh, immigrated to the United States. My mother was also of Mexican heritage, but born in Texas. So I do have a love for the Mexican culture and for Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I think she is, uh, her story is one that is just uh, so powerful, so beautiful, and highlights uh, in a wonderful way how God continues to uh, pour down his mercy and his grace through the action of his mother by allowing her to come and bring the children of God back to him. So I, I wanted to start, first of all, by talking a little bit about some of the history, because I think it's a very interesting um, historical perspective to keep in mind as we learn about Our Lady of Guadalupe. So back in the 1500s, most of the towns in and around Mexico City in particular were built around a pyramid temple because the Aztecs worshipped many gods and goddesses that were related to the sun, the moon, the rain, the fire, the wind, um, all sorts of different elements. And the interesting thing is that the Aztec people felt compelled to offer human sacrifices to these gods, either to atone for some type of calamity, like an earthquake, or to forestall misfortune, because they wanted to keep the gods happy. And in particular, they provided human blood to the sun god on a regular basis to ensure he would appear each morning on the horizon because they considered themselves to be people of the sun. Most of the people that were sacrificed in these very bloody rituals were either slaves or prisoners of war. And the priests that conducted these sacrifices would often wear these long black robes They would have long hair, they would be chanting, and they would tear the hearts out of their living victims. So very horrific kind of human sacrifice. And before I go much further, I wanted to give credit to a book that I took much of this information from called The Wonder of Guadalupe by Francis Johnson. Occasionally, these uh, sacrifices would reach several thousand in a single day. So can you imagine 
the blood thirst that they felt these gods had in order to keep them happy. And if you take a step back and look at it, uh, what I described earlier, that they're trying to appease the gods, it's really an inversion of the Christian sacrifice where Christ gave his life to redeem us. This was human blood being offered to redeem the life of the gods. So it was really a total inversion and very much a demonic kind of um, manifestation. So what are some of the names of the gods, just to be familiar with some of the bigger gods that they worshipped? Um, and I'm not going to do a great job saying these names. Uh, Quetzalcoatl was the mightiest god. He was a feathered or stone serpent. Huitzilopochtli was another feathered serpent god of war and of the sun. And then there was a great mother god called Tonantzin, and her head was a combination of snake heads and her garment was a mass of writhing serpents. So I mean, these were not beautiful uh, images to look upon. They were very frightful, very fearsome, very powerful in their, um, in their belief system at the time. And it was uh, a time of great fear and a time of great tyranny in and around Mexico City at the time that the name of the city was actually Tenochtitlan. The emperor at this time in the early 1500s was Montezuma II. He was a highly superstitious, philosophical man, and he was inclined to witchcraft and was known as quite a vicious tyrant, put a lot of fear into the people that were not directly under his rule, but like the neighboring Indian tribes that kind of lived around the surrounding areas. He had a sister named Princess Papansen, and in 1509, she actually got very ill. She went into a coma because of this illness, and they actually thought she had died. So they laid her in a tomb uh, within a coffin. They put her in a coffin and laid her in a tomb, and she luckily <laughs> awoke and began to cry out to, release, to be released from the coffin. When she came out of the coffin, she told them of a dream that she had had. And in the dream, she said there was a luminous being that came to her. And this luminous being led her to a boundless ocean. And all of a sudden, there were a number of large ships that appeared. And they had black crosses on their sails. And this was the same black cross that was seen on the forehead of this luminous being. She was told in this dream that the ships were bringing men from a distant land who would conquer the country and bring the Aztecs knowledge of the true God. So isn't that interesting? That the sister of the ruler of the biggest city under Aztec rule had this prophetic dream. Well, Montezuma was very um, struck by this dream and he brooded over it because he did believe that it would lead to his eventual doom uh, of his rule and of his country. Ten years later, Spanish forces arrived in Mexico under Captain Hernando Cortez. And Montezuma tried to bribe him, but Cortez learned that there were many Mexican tribes that wanted to overthrow the, the cruel Aztec rulers. So Cortez was smart enough to join forces with these tribes, and together they advanced on 
the, the capital city. On November 8th, 1519, Montezuma and Cortes agreed to meet and to try and negotiate some type of settlement. But as you can imagine, uh, there was a lot of mistrust and Cortes finally decided that the only way to get the upper hand was to arrest Montezuma and to hold him hostage. So he did this, but then he learned about an insurrection that was happening or a mutiny that was happening back on the seashore where his ships were being held. So he had to sneak out of the city. And so a war broke out and Cortes, again, with the help of the other Indian allies, finally came back and took charge of the capital and, and Montezuma was killed during this part of the war. And so Spain finally took charge of this capital city in Mexico. And during that time, Cortes then with his uh, Spanish allies and his Indian allies uh, began to demolish the Aztec temples and replace them with Catholic churches. About five years later, Cortes left for Honduras. And in uh, 1524, he had false charges brought against him back in Spain, saying that he had abandoned his post in Mexico. Charles V sent an emissary to Mexico to try to oversee the country while Cortes was uh, kind of being reviewed. And this emissary could not handle the very volatile situation that was there. So this emissary was replaced by five administrators known as the first audience. At that point, Charles V, being a man of decency, decided to appoint a bishop to counterbalance the authority of the first audience and to protect the Mexican population from abuse at the hands of their conquerors. So I thought that was a beautiful thing that he really did think about these people and that he didn't want them to be mistreated just because the Spaniards had come in and conquered their land. In December of 28th, he sent Juan Zumaraga to serve as the first bishop of the New World. And Bishop Zumaraga was of the of Franciscan background, and he was a very good man, a very prayerful, loving man. And he created many schools. Uh, he, he created the first university, which today is the largest university in the world with some 90,000 students. He also established the College of the Holy Cross because he wanted to foster training of native clergy in Mexico. And he sent out many mis missionaries from Spain to try and teach the native people the, the Christian faith. Unfortunately, the first audience was led by a man named Guzman, and he was very corrupt and uh, abusive and tyrannical. And so Bishop Zumaraga was actually threatened by him. His uh, priests were threatened by Guzman, even though he was a Spanish person. He really was power hungry. And so Bishop Zumaraga had to smuggle a message to Charles V back in Spain in a hollowed out crucifix to explain what was happening under the leadership of the first audience led by Guzman. So Charles V then had 
the first audience, and Guzman in particular, replaced with others that were more trustworthy. And this was Bishop Don Sebastian Ramirez de Juan Leal. So he came in to replace the first audience and to help work with Bishop Zumaraga to establish order and to take care of the people in a way that was appropriate and was Christian. Bishop Zumaraga was worried about an insurrection because there was so much turmoil in these early years of the Spanish conquest and all the abuse that the people had undergone at the hands of Guzman and the other leaders that were not good people. And so he was very worried that there was going to be an all-out war of the people rebelling from the Spanish leadership. So he silently prayed to Our Lady and he secretly asked her to send him some Castilian roses that were then unknown to Mexico as a sign that his prayer had been heard for um, peace to be established in this land that he was part of now in Mexico. And he really wanted to do what was right, which was to bring the teachings of the true God to the land, to the people, and to promote education and welfare for the people of Mexico. So, you know, I, we're getting a little bit closer to the end of this per, first segment of the radio show. And I think what's so amazing is that if you look at this history, you have some very uh, unethical leaders, both Montezuma, then Guzman, who came in from Spain. And, you know, people were being treated very badly. And yet, God was always there to counter it with good people, like the Bishop Zumaraga, who was sent there with a heart of love, a heart of a shepherd, someone who wanted to really care for the people and build up the country in the right way. And, you know, uh, we're going, I'm going to start talking more about Our Lady of Guadalupe in the next segment of the show, because she's going to be obviously so, uh, such a large part of some of the changes that took place, partly through the prayers of this holy bishop who was asking for her, her protection, her intercession, for, for this country not to erupt any, any further into chaos and war. And just to, to understand again that the Lord is always sending out his people to speak the truth, to share love, to build up the kingdom of God, even in the midst of great darkness and very unethical behaviors by certain individuals, that we have to just continue to lean into and pray that God's way, God's plan, God's will is going to be realized in the end because he is in charge of all these situations. Getting back to Mother Mary and Our Lady of Guadalupe, you know, she is near and dear to my heart because of my Mexican heritage. The story of her apparition in Mexico is one of my favorite because it is just so beautiful and loving and miraculous. And because it really has uh, touched the hearts of so many people. I truly believe that the miraculous apparitions of Mother Mary have converted more hearts than we can even begin to understand because she has appeared in many different places, in Lourdes, France, in Ireland. 
She's appeared in Africa. She's appeared in Mexico. Uh, so, so many different places. And so always as a mother calling the children of God back to her son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And so uh, she's, again, the first and best disciple that ever walked the earth. And so it's no surprise that God sends her back often to the world to uh, remind us that we are the children of God and that we need to turn our lives back to him in order to find peace and, and salvation. And so it is always a joy for me to talk about Mother Mary and the miraculous apparitions that have occurred throughout the centuries. So many people, I'm often surprised by how many people don't know about the amazing things that God has allowed through Mother Mary throughout the centuries um, because they're such beautiful, heartfelt, loving, kind, awesome um, stories of God's grace pouring through the Mother of God throughout the 2000 years since she walked the earth. And when she first said her, yes, I will bring the Christ child into the world at the request of this angel, this mess messenger from heaven, I will be a part of salvation history by being uh, the vessel through which the Son of God is born into the world. And I will allow myself to become the spouse of the Holy Spirit uh, to, to be obedient to the will of the Father, which was his plan for salvation. And so ever since then, what has, what has the Father done? He has continued to use Mary in his plan of salvation by sending her back many times. It is now time for a commercial break, but don't go away. When we come back, I'm going to start getting into the actual story of how Mother Mary appeared in Mexico in the 1500s and what her message was and what transpired. This is Letty Medina with Fullness of Life. I'll be right back. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. A prayer for deliverance with Father John Grigas. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, we just ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to come down upon us, the intercession of Our Lady and of all the saints and angels, and we come against any influence of the occult or the New Age that might have infiltrated any of our listeners, their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, nephews, brothers, and sisters, and families, and we bind Satan and all of his minions in any way that have bound any of these individuals or their families in this occult practices, and we invoke Mother Mary also in all the saints in the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus I just break all bounds and all influences of the new age upon any one of our listeners and may they be broken in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit may he send upon them the grace of the Holy Spirit to free them and may our mother Mary place her mother in the mantle to protect them and crush the head of the evil one as she was promised to do so in Genesis after the fall Amen
Are you retired or near retirement? Do you want to keep a larger amount of your assets in a safe place with guaranteed interest rates to protect yourself from a huge market swing? Are you amazed at how low the interest rates are at your bank? If you said yes to any or all of those questions, you may want to call me, Matt Tomlinson, at Catholic Financial Life to discuss our guaranteed fixed rate annuities. Call 847-548-MATT, 847-548-6288. Products not available in all states. Welcome back, everyone. This is Letty Medina with Fullness of Life. And we've just been talking about some of the history of Mexico in the uh, 1500s when the Spanish um, came and conquered some of the uh, Indian tribes and uh, took over the city, uh, the capital city of Mexico, and uh, how this was the, the backdrop of what was about to occur with the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So, you know, it's interesting to note that I had mentioned that the sister of the leader, Montezuma II, was Princess Papantzin, and in 1525 she became one of the first Mexicans to receive baptism. And so that's not surprising based on the fact that she had that prophetic dream where she witnessed a luminous being telling her that there would be ships arriving with people who had black crosses on their helmets and on their sails that would tell them about the true God, the one true God. So she did uh, become a Catholic. And in that same year, two peasants... Juan Diego and his wife Maria Lucia were also received into the Catholic Church. So that was in 1525. So Juan Diego, who is now known as Saint Juan Diego and is key to the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Juan and Maria Lucia would walk 15 miles to attend Mass and to receive further instruction in the faith from the missionaries. And so it just showed extraordinary commitment to God and his church because they found such joy and hope in a loving God in comparison to the bloodthirsty gods that had ruled their country in prior centuries. Four years later, uh, in 1529, Maria Lucia, Juan's wife, suddenly died. Since they did not have children, Juan decided to move closer to his only living relative, his uncle, Juan Bernardino. And that brought him closer to the church in Mexico City, and so he only had to walk nine miles each way. Juan Diego was a poor peasant and did not have any significant social standing. So it's very interesting that of all the people that the Mother of God could have chosen to be her emissary, she doesn't always choose people based on their social status or their intelligence or anything like that. She chooses people that will do the will that she sends them to do, you know, which is the will of God. So on Saturday, December 9th, 1531, Juan Diego rose early to begin the long nine-mile walk to the city to attend Mass and to celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which was celebrated on that date in, in that time. He was 57 years old. 
As he was approaching the shoulder of Tepeyac Hill, the former site, I'm going to remind you, the former site of the pagan temple of Tenantzin, who was the Aztec mother god, suddenly he heard strains of music that were beautiful beyond words flowing down from the hill. And as he looked up, he saw a glowing white cloud with a brilliant rainbow streaming from the cloud. The music stopped suddenly, and then he heard someone calling him from the top of the hill, a woman's gentle, loving voice calling him, Juanito, Juan Dieguito, very lovingly. And so he felt compelled to go up the hill in response to that summons. And when he reached the 130-foot high summit, he found himself face to face with a beautiful lady. She was filled with bright light and her garments shone like the sun and the radiance of her person like touched the rocks all around, the bushes, the other plants with beautiful color. And it was as if he was seeing them through a stained glass window because of the beauty of the, the light and the colors that were being strewn from her. She appeared to be young, around 14 years of age, and as she beckoned him to approach her, he hesitantly took a few steps forward and then sank to his knees in veneration because of her, her majesty, her beauty. And she said, Juanito, my son, where are you going? And he said, noble lady, I am on my way to church to hear mass. She smiled in approval and said, Know for certain, dearest of my sons, that I am the perfect and perpetual Virgin Mary, mother of the true God, through whom everything lives, the Lord of all things, who is master of heaven and earth. I ardently desire a temple be built here for me, where I will show and offer all my love, my compassion, my help, and my protection to the people. I am your merciful mother, the mother of all who live united in this land, and of all mankind, of all those who love me, of those who cry to me, of those who have confidence in me. Here I will hear their weeping and their sorrows, and will remedy and alleviate their sufferings, necessities, and misfortunes. Therefore, in order to realize my intentions, go to the house of the Bishop of Mexico City and tell him that I sent you, and that it is my desire to have a temple built here. Tell him all that you have seen and heard. Be assured that I shall be very grateful and will reward you for doing diligently what I have asked of you. Now that you have heard my words, my son, Go and do everything as best you can. Juan bowed low and replied, My holy one, my lady, I will do all you ask of me. So he got up and he went to the bishop's residence. He had to wait over an hour on the cold patio because the servants, when they looked at him and saw how he was of no importance and he was dressed poorly, uh, they didn't really want to support his uh, request to see the bishop and they were being disrespectful. But they finally did allow him in after about an hour. So he knelt before the bishop and he relayed what had happened and Our Lady's request for the temple. And the bishop could see, you know, 
how sincere he was, how humble he was. And he was touched by that. He asked Juan about, you know, are you practicing your faith? And, and he asked him some questions about the Gospels, and Juan was able to respond in a way that seemed to satisfy the bishop. However, the bishop was uncertain, right? All of a sudden, this peasant shows up in his office saying that he's seen the mother of God, and he just wasn't sure if this was real. So he said um, to him in a kind way, he said, you must come again, my son, when I can hear you more at my leisure. Meanwhile, I will reflect on what you have told me, and I will take careful consideration of the goodwill and the earnest desire that caused you to come to me. So you can imagine that Juan was extremely disappointed. He felt like he had failed in his mission for Our Lady. And so as he walked home and he was approaching Tepeyac Hill where he had seen her that morning, he was suddenly very certain that she would be waiting for him. So she, he went to the top of the hill and he found her there and he fell to his knees and he said, I obeyed your orders. I entered into the bishop's audience chamber, although I had difficulty doing so. I saw his excellency as you asked of me. He received me kindly and listened with attention, but when he answered me, it seemed as if he did not believe me. He then repeated the bishop's last words and said, I knew by the manner of his response that he thought I was inventing the story of your desire to have a temple built here. So I beg you, noble lady, entrust this message to someone of importance, someone well-known and respected, so that your wish will be accomplished. For I am only a lowly peasant, and you, my lady, have sent me to a place where I have no standing. Forgive me if I have disappointed you for having failed in my mission. <laughs> and then the, the virgin just smiled tenderly and lovingly at him, and she said, Listen to me, my dearest son and understand that I have many servants and messengers whom I could charge with the delivery of my message. But it is altogether necessary that it be through your mediation and assistance that my wish should be accomplished. I urge you to go to the bishop again tomorrow. Tell him in my name and make him fully understand my disposition that he should undertake the erection of the temple for which I ask and repeat to him that it is I, in person, the ever-Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, who sent you." So Juan felt reassured after hearing this, and he said, Holy Lady, I will not disappoint you. I will gladly go again at your command, even though once more I may not be believed. Tomorrow toward sunset I shall return here and give an account of the bishop's response. So the next day, Juan went to the bishop's residence, and the servant grudgingly allowed him into the patio to wait in the cold again. This time, he made him wait several hours before he was allowed to see the bishop. Meanwhile, the bishop had no idea that he had been waiting that long. Juan threw himself on his knees and repeated the lady's message with fervor. But he was so cold and he was tired from his weight, and so he was overcome with emotion and his intense desire for the bishop to believe him. And so he began to cry and really, you know, just pour out his heart with, these, with this request, pleading for him to comply with the lady's request. 
The bishop asked him several questions, like, where did you see her? How long did she stay? What was she like? Although Juan provided all the facts repeatedly and never contradicted himself, the bishop still felt he needed something more to believe, something more convincing, such as a sign from heaven. So Juan replied, well, what kind of sign do you ask for? I shall go at once and request it of the lady of heaven who sent me. So the bishop said he would leave it to the supposed vision to supply the sign. Juan was dismissed by the bishop, and the bishop then ordered several men to follow him secretly to watch where he went. They followed him dis discreetly at a distance until they got to Tebeyak Hill. Suddenly, Juan disappeared. So they searched everywhere around the hill, on top of the hill, and they could not find him. They went back and told the bishop that he was an imposter who had deluded them all and that if he showed up again, he should be punished and taught a lesson. Meanwhile, during the men's search for Juan, he had climbed to the top of Tepeyac Hill and found himself again in the radiant presence of the Mother of God. He was enveloped in the bright aura of her presence, and it was like a luminous mist that concealed his whereabouts. He again threw himself at her feet and poured out his heart in a flood of sorrow. He asked Mary if she would please give a sign to convince the bishop that he was speaking the truth. Mary again smiled tenderly and said, That is very well, my little son. Return here tomorrow and you will have the sign he has requested. Then he will believe and no longer doubt or suspect you. Mark my words well, my little son. I shall richly reward you for all the worry, work, and trouble you have undertaken on my behalf. You may go home now. Tomorrow I shall be waiting here for you. Juan was so overjoyed about Our Lady's decision to provide a sign for the bishop. He went to see his beloved uncle, and he found him seriously ill with a high fever, typical of the plague at that time. So he was very frightened, and he knew that his uncle was in fear of dying. He called the village physician who gave him herbal remedies, but his uncle continued to decline. All that night and the next day, Juan refused to leave his bedside. He trusted that the Virgin would understand his situation. That next evening, it was clear his uncle was dying. His uncle pleaded with Juan to go to Mexico City to bring a priest to hear his confession and for his last rites. So on Tuesday morning, December 12th, Juan was rushing toward Mexico City. He knew the lady would see him if he went his usual route. So instead, he struck across the rough, rocky ground and skirted Tepeyac Hill, trying to go around a way where he, she wouldn't see him. As he passed the hill, suddenly he saw her descending the hill in a blaze of light to intercept him. What is the matter, my little son? She called out. Where are you going? He was confused and ashamed. He replied, noble lady, it will grieve you to hear what I have to say. My uncle, your poor servant, is very sick. He is suffering from the plague and is dying. I am hurrying to the church in Mexico City to call a priest to hear his confession and give him the last rites. When I have done this, I will return here immediately to convey your message. Please forgive me and be patient with me. I am not deceiving you. I promise faithfully to come here tomorrow with all haste. He could see love and sympathy flowing from her gaze. 
And she said, Listen and let it penetrate your heart, my dear little son. Do not be troubled or weighed down with grief. Do not fear any illness or vexation, anxiety or pain. Am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Am I not your fountain of life? Are you not in the folds of my mantle, in the crossing of my arms? Is there anything else you need? She paused, smiling at him, and then added, Do not let the illness of your uncle worry you, because he is not going to die of his sickness. At this very moment, he is cured. This was Mary revealing her immaculate heart to this precious son of hers. Juan was so overjoyed, he agreed to set out to the bishop again. She asked him to climb to the top of Tepeyac Hill, where he previously saw her. And she said, there you will find many flowers growing. Gather them carefully, assemble them together, and then bring them back and show me what you have. Juan found a brilliant profusion of flowers, including Castilian roses, blooming in the frozen soil. He spread out his cloak, known as a tilma, like a poncho, and he put it on the ground, and he placed the flowers on top and wrapped them in his tilma. He brought them to the Virgin, where she rearranged them carefully with her own hands, saying as she did so, my little son, these varied flowers are the sign which you are to take to the bishop. Tell him in my name that in them he will recognize my will and that he must fulfill it. You will be my ambassador, fully worthy of my confidence. I enjoin you not to unfold your tilma, nor to reveal its contents until you are in his presence. Then tell him everything. Explain how I sent you to the top of the hill where you found these flowers growing in profusion, all ready to be gathered. Tell him once again all that you have seen and heard, here to induce him to comply with my wishes, so that the temple I asked for may be built here. Juan went to the bishop's home and was angrily refused entrance by the servants who hurled abuse at him. He refused to leave. He stood outside the gate. An hour later, an official saw him standing there holding his tilma closed and asked him what he was concealing inside his tilma. Juan did not reply. Other servants heard and began to demand that he open his tilma and even threatened him. So he opened it a fraction. They gasped when they saw the beautiful flowers. They tried to snatch at them and the flowers seemed to melt into the tilma as if they were embroidery. One of the servants went to the bishop who had no idea he had been waiting outside and asked for him to be sent in. The bishop was with the new governor of Mexico. Juan came in, bowed low, and recounted what had happened at the hill that morning. He said, Your Excellency, I obeyed your instructions. Very early this morning, the celestial lady told me to come and see you again. I asked for the sign which you requested and which she had promised to give me. She told me to climb to the top of the hill where I had previously seen her to pick the flowers growing there. I knew quite well that the summit of the hill was no place for flowers to grow, 
especially at this time of the year. But I did not doubt her word. When I reached the top, I was astonished to find myself surrounded by beautiful flowers, all brilliant with dewdrops. I plucked as many as I could carry and brought them back to her. She arranged them with her own hands and replaced them in my robe in order that I might bring them to you. Here they are. Behold, receive them. He released his tillment and the flowers cascaded to the floor in a profusion of color and perfume. Bishop Zumaraga realized it was the sign he had asked of the Blessed Virgin to show that she had heard his prayer for peace in the country. As he lifted his eyes to the tilma, at that instant, there appeared on it a glorious image of the Mother of Christ. Everyone in the room sank to their knees in awe and veneration. Juan was confused until he looked down and saw the exact replica of the lady he had seen at Tepeyac on his tilma. Bishop Sumanaga finally rose to his feet, embraced Juan, and begged for his forgiveness for having doubted him. He invited Juan to spend the night as his guest and accompanied him the next day to Tepeyac Hill, where the Virgin had appeared to him. He carefully untied the tilma from Juan's neck and carried it to his private oratory so he could gaze upon it to his heart's content. Well, it's time for a commercial break, but don't go away because there's more to this story. This is Letty Medina with Home Supply, and we'll be back right after this Hello, I'm Father James Kubicki, the U.S. Director of the Apostleship of Prayer, and I ask you to support Catholic Radio in your area because Catholic Radio is the way that we can get the word out today. It's Catholic evangelization at its best, and I've heard conversion stories all over the place because of people who have tuned in as they're driving or in their homes, listening to Catholic Radio by accident, and the Lord touching their hearts through the message they heard. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFI Radio. Radio.org or mail your tax deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. sharing the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I have taken most of my information from the book called The Wonder of Guadalupe by Francis Johnson. And we had just gotten to the part where um, Juan Diego had brought the roses and other flowers to the bishop. He had opened his tilma, and on the tilma, appeared the beautiful, miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, so as you can imagine, you know, the bishop was stunned. He fell to his knees. He apologized profusely that he didn't believe Juan Diego. Um, and, and the news of this miracle spread like wildfire across the city. And the next morning, the sacred image was carried in procession to the cathedral. And by midday, Bishop Zumaraga and his associates went with Juan to the site of the apparition. After that, Juan went to check on his uncle, and he was overjoyed to find him fully recovered. 
He told his uncle everything that had happened, and his uncle smiled knowingly and shared that on Tuesday morning, after Juan had left to go get the priest, he grew so weak that he thought he was going to die, but his room was suddenly filled with light, and a beautiful lady appeared to him, all radiant with peace and love, and she explained that she had intercepted Juan and sent him to the bishop with her sacred image imprinted on his tilma. She then revealed the title by which she was to be known in the future and to please share it with the bishop. So the uncle actually had had a visit from Our Lady as well. So interestingly, the Franciscans, the missionaries, were teaching the Indians that Mary was she who crushes the serpent, knowing that this would make a deep impression on them since it also signified the crushing of their frightful serpent god. So I think one of the most beautiful things about Our Lady of Guadalupe is just the tremendous number of miracles associated with the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And it's worth reading about and learning about so you can share it with your, your loved ones, your children. I mean, this is one of the ways to inspire faith in our families is to share the beautiful, powerful, miraculous things that God has done through Our Lady, through the saints. We have to tell these stories because they're so amazing and inspiring. So one of the first miracles was that within seven years of the image first appearing on the poncho or tilma, about eight million Mexicans who previously had pagan beliefs became Christians. Can you imagine? Eight million conversions in seven years? And that is one of the reasons why Mexico has become known to be very Catholic, right? Because Our Lady truly, her apparitions there converted almost the whole nation. Another interesting thing, a man who was accidentally shot and killed by an arrow. So there was such a celebration going on when they, you know, the people around the city heard about this miracle. People got a bit exuberant and someone fired an arrow up into the air and it came and it hit a man and it killed him. Well, they, the people took this man and they laid him at the feet of the image and he came back to life. And so this individual spent the rest of his life tending to the church which housed the sacred image. So not surprisingly, if you die and then you're brought back to life because you're brought in front of this image, uh, he wanted to be there close to that image the rest of his life. Some other interesting, miraculous things to be known about the, the tilma and the image on, on the cloak. The colors found in the image are not found in this world. Scientists have studied this tilma um, very meticulously, and they claim that the colors just haven't been seen in this world. Also, they were trying to understand, you know, how did this image appear on this tilma? And they assumed it was some type of painting, but no, there are no brush strokes, so it is not a painting. It actually appears to be a type of photographic image of Our Lady that appeared on Juan's tilma the day he brought the flowers to the bishop as proof of her request for a temple. Scientists have looked very, very carefully, and even in the, as recently as uh, the last 50, 60 years, some of the scientists discovered that her eyes appeared to be human when examined under an ophthalmoscope. 
the light actually enters the eyes on the image as if they were human eyes, as if she was alive. So it's very hard for them to understand it, but that is actually what happens. They've tried to replicate this on other images, other paintings, and it, yeah, they can't replicate it. They also found a reflected image of three people inside the eyes of Our Lady. When they looked very closely at the eyes on the image, they found the reflection of three people. And it appears to be Juan Diego, his interpreter, and the new governor of Mexico, who were all in the room meeting with the bishop the day the flowers were brought to him. And so when the scientists discovered this reflection in her eyes, what they surmised from this was that Our Lady was actually in the room behind the bishop. The bishop was talking to those three individuals and, and then because she was behind the bishop, this image came, this photograph was made and it appeared on Juan Diego's Tilma. So just hard to understand these miraculous things, but God can do whatever he wants. This is another interesting thing. They have taken the temperature of this serape, tilma, poncho, whatever you want to call it, and the temperature is always 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the temperature of a living human. They cannot explain this. It doesn't make sense. It's unexplainable basically. In 1921 a bomb was placed under the image and exploded and caused a tremendous amount of damage including the twisting of a large iron cross that was on the altar, the shattering of all the stained glass windows in the basilica, and chunks of granite torn from the altar. But the image was completely untouched and the glass covering over the image was not even cracked. So again, it appears that the Lord himself provided protection to the image because he wants to preserve this as a miraculous image for people to come and venerate his mother as a way of drawing close to him. Uh, additional information that can't be explained by the scientists. For the first hundred years, the image was not given much protection and thousands of candles were lit close by with the, you know, the black flames or uh, the smoke rising up. Many hands touched the tilma and yet there is very little wear on the image. The fibers of the cactus plant, so the, the tilma, the poncho, is made of a cactus plant and that, that plant material should have decayed within 20 years, but it remains fully intact almost 500 years later. So again, miraculous happenings all involving this image that Our Lady left on the tilma of Juan Diego. The detailed image shows Mary with specific symbolism that conveyed a spiritual message that the illiterate native people of Mexico could easily understand. So they could simply look at the image's symbols and comprehend the spiritual significance of Mary's identity and the mission of her son, Jesus Christ, in the world. So as recorded by Father Harold Rom, R-O-M-M, in his book, Am I Not Here? He wrote, the Indians saw something in the image of Our Lady that the Spaniards did not comprehend. In that period, 
The Indians did their writing in hieroglyphics, so to them the image was a hieroglyphic letter. The fact that the natives read the image is most important in understanding the purpose of Our Lady's apparitions. To the Indians, the image depicted a beautiful lady standing in front of the sun, a sign to them that she was greater than the sun god whom they worshipped. The crescent, or the moon beneath her feet, showed that their moon god was less than nothing since she was standing on it. The stars they thought so much of were only a part or portion of her mantle. At her throat was a brooch with a small black cross in the center, reminding them that this was the emblem of the Spanish friars and there was one greater than she. She looks Indian in the image so they could relate to her, right? So there's so many beautiful things about this image that allowed 8 million Native Indians uh, to be converted to, to Christianity. She's pregnant in the, in the image, again, conveying that she was bringing the Savior to save them. And the stars on her mantle are exactly how they would have been seen in the sky that day and that year. So again, just tremendous miracles. In 2007, as recently as 2007, a miracle occurred on April 24th in relation to her title as patroness of the unborn. An unusual luminosity became visible in the abdomen of Mary at the shrine of Guadalupe immediately after the city legalized abortion. According to one account, at the end of the mass, which was offered for aborted children, while many of the faithful were taking photographs of the tilma, the image of the Virgin began to erase itself, to give place to an intense light which emanated from her abdomen, constituting a brilliant halo having the form of an embryo and is not a reflection or an artifact. So again, scientists studied this image and they said there, this image cannot be explained. It's not a trick of the camera. Somebody didn't come and superimpose this light over the image. It's something that happened that, that cannot be explained. Interestingly enough, Juan Diego spent the remaining 17 years of his life as the custodian of the church where the image was originally housed and shared his story of encountering the Blessed Virgin to anyone who wanted to hear it. So he just spent the rest of his life venerating Mother Mary and talking about the miracles that God had brought about through Our Lady. Several million pilgrims visit to pray every year at the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe near Mexico City. And it's just a wonderful way to grow in our understanding of the role of Mary, which is always, always to bring us closer to Jesus Christ. So I hope you have enjoyed listening about the history of Our Lady of Guadalupe and some of the beautiful miracles and details of uh, that time. And I hope you will continue to grow in your love of Our Lady, who is said to be the fastest and surest way to her son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you all for tuning in each month. This is Letty Medina with Fullness of Life, and until we meet again, I'm wishing you all this fullness of life.
Virgo Maria 